Welcome to Fair Talk, where we set out to provide enduring discussions on contemporary topics relevant to our economy, with particular emphasis on food, agriculture, and the environment. My name is Brady Deaton, Jr. of the Department of Food, Agriculture, and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. I'll be your host. Today is March 27th, 2018, and my guest is Chad Lawley. Chad is an associate professor in the Department of Agribusiness and Agriculture Economics at the University of Manitoba. Chad, welcome to Fair Talk. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brady. We're going to be talking about your paper that you recently published in the American Journal of Agriculture Economics titled Ownership Restrictions and Farmland Values, Evidence from the 2003 Saskatchewan Farm Security Act Amendment. Now, that's a lot of long title, but let's, so let's just start breaking that down. So, what are ownership restrictions on farmland? How do we think about that? Yeah, so I think there have typically been sort of two different types. Um, so in some cases, uh, states or provinces will restrict cor- corporate ownership. Um, that's the case in North Dakota. So I think in the 1930s in North Dakota, the state put in some anti-corporate ownership restrictions. Um, there was a fear at that time, so there were... Uh, uh, farms were, were going bankrupt and institutions were taking over that land and there was a concern that they would have a, a large impact on the landscape in terms of uh, sort of non-farmer. So they wanted farmers, farm families, farm individuals to be owning this farmland. They didn't want a corporation to be that's exactly farming. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's wow. right. Wow. So this is a historic issue. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that's in the 1930s and uh, as recently as I think 2016, um, this ban of corporate ownership was, was maintained in North Dakota. Um, another kind of common ownership restriction that uh, took place in the 70s and 80s in North America are, are bans on foreign ownership. Um, and so uh, if you're a resident outside of, the, outside of the country, say outside of the States or outside of Canada, you're prohibited from, from owning farmland. And so there are several states and provinces with that type of legislation. And I think... Um, say by the mid-1980s, over half of the farmland in, in Canada and the U.S. would have been under a foreign ownership restriction. I noticed in your paper, and by the way, for those listening, uh, we'll put a link uh, to uh, Chad's journal article so that you can read that. But I think you mentioned in the paper that something like 30 U.S. states by the 1980s had foreign ownership Restrictions is that about right? Yeah, that sounds right. So, and there was a lot of talk about it. Uh, I think there was a 1978 GAO report um, on concerns about farmland ownership. And uh, yeah, I think by mid 80s, that sounds right. About you know more than half of the U.S. states had had a foreign ownership restriction. And Canada as well, and many of the provinces do, and uh, still do, right? Yeah, that's right. So Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. Um, Quebec, Prince Edward Island all have uh, restrictions on outside outside investors, uh, outside owners. And for those listening to Ontario, uh, Ontario really doesn't uh, have similar restrictions to those provinces. Yeah, that's right. And, and same with uh, British Columbia, right. to my understanding. There are, um, to get the tax break on farmland, which is generally 25% residential, you have to be uh, a Canadian citizen. Right. So yeah. there are disincentives, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, whereas some of these foreign ownership restrictions are sort of blunt instruments, right? They're uh, uh, a complete ban on, on ownership if you're, if you're not a resident. 
So there's this foreign ownership restriction, but in the case that you're looking at, a Saskatchewan, it's it's even uh, more than that, right? Yeah, that's right. So Saskatchewan is unusual um, in that uh, starting in 1974 with the Saskatchewan Farm Farm Ownership Act, um, only Saskatchewan residents or agricultural corporations were allowed to own uh, Saskatchewan farmland. Uh, and so quite a bit more restrictive than restrictions we, we saw in, in other provinces and, and states. Right. So the other provinces would have allowed citizens from any other province to invest in farmland. But now Saskatchewan in 1973 disallows any other provincial government, uh, somebody residing in another, any other Canadian citizen except someone residing in Saskatchewan. Is that, that right? That's exactly right. Oh, yeah. Okay. It completely isolated the province from, from outside investment. So I know you talk a little bit about the report that led up to this decision in 1973. What's the uh, kind of give us a general overview of what was going on? What were they concerned about? What was going? What were the issues that they were debating at the time? Yeah. So uh, the new Democratic Party, so a sort of uh, left of center uh, party, was in, in, in power in, in the province at the time. They the, a committee was formed to look at farmland ownership, and so they they toured uh, the. U.S. Midwest, they, they went to North Dakota, they went to Colorado to look at uh, the types of uh, restrictions on, on ownership there. And they did a tour of Saskatchewan as well. Um, and the overriding concern, I think, at that time was, was rural depopulation. So there was this concern that, in general, um, uh, farmers were, were, were leaving agriculture, going into the city, uh, uh, rural communities were being depopulated, it was reducing uh, amenities and services within those rural areas and that this uh, rural way of life was, was being threatened. Um, there was also a concern that, that young farmers weren't, weren't getting into, into agriculture. And so, uh, so in 1973, they basically then disallow. So only, can they, only residents of Saskatchewan can purchase farmland and then take us through to... Uh, does does is it stay that way? I think you're looking at a change that occurs in 2003, or is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So, um, so legislation comes in in in, in 1974. Uh, it's interesting. So that that special committee that from the report recommended that ownership be restricted to Canadian residents, hmm. but in fact, the legislation that was put into place was more more onerous or more stringent, restricted ownership to just Saskatchewan residents. And you don't have? Do you have an idea why that? Why they overstepped that? That's, inter- that's I, interesting. I don't. You know, I couldn't find any sort of documentation that uh, the this special committee report is the the last mm-hmm. word that I see, and then and then the legislation is in place. So the committee says, ah, restrict foreign purchases of farmland. Yes. And they say we'll go further than that. Exactly. Nobody yeah. except unless they're a resident of Saskatchewan can. Uh, purchase yeah, okay. that's right. And it's very unusual. Yeah. No other no other state or province uh, did that. So at the start, the, the legislation was restricting uh, ownership to Saskatchewan residents or, or someone residing within 20 miles of the Saskatchewan border. So you could be 20 miles into Manitoba, into Alberta, or, or into the United States. So, so post that initial legislation, there are small changes put in place in the 1980s to the legislation, uh, one of which is removing that 20-mile buffer around Saskatchewan. Um, uh, 2000 and... Uh, and two, there's this uh, legislation is revisited, and and then in 2003, uh, investment is opened up to Canadian residents and agricultural corporations. 
Okay, so what, do you have any sense of, so this is interesting, in 1973 we have these objectives uh, for, restrict, for real uh, unique farmland restrictions, unique in, in North America, only people in the province could buy it. But by 2003, and that's really going to be the focus of your, your, your research paper, that's right. this changes and is relaxed. Why? Why? What? Okay, what happened? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I suppose, you know, it's always tough to know for sure. For but sure. Um, so in 19, say the mid 1970s, it's a time of high uh, agricultural land prices. There was a thought that uh, this type of legislation is being imposed just to reduce local competition for farmland. So you keep out uh, prospective buyers from outside of the so the province, it allows local farmers to more competitively bid on that land. Um, you know, when asset values are high, I suppose a lot of people want to get in, right? And so there, there can be this momentum politically for, for that type of restriction. Moving ahead to 2002, now at least in Saskatchewan, this is a time of uh, relatively low agricultural land prices. Uh, they're, they're stagnant in real terms, so there's not a lot of appreciation in land values. Um, and... You know, some commentators were suggesting that um, uh, there's this baby boom that sort of entered agriculture in the in the 70s. Maybe I shouldn't say baby boom, but there's a lot of farmers entering in the 1970s. And then now those farmers are ready to retire, and they'd like to uh, sell their farmland into a, a liberalized market where where there's more more competition for the land. And so now the you know it's politically sort of feasible for the, the government to open up uh, competition for, for the land. Right. Um, it's interesting. In, in times of high prices, there, it seems historically we've had these concerns about foreign ownership, um, corporate or non-traditional investments, uh, investors in farmland, uh, or I guess they could use the word institutional investors uh, right. for you know groups that are corporations that are going out investing in, in farmland as an investment. Um, uh, these concerns seem to uh, occur in times of high prices. And I say that because we are in kind of an escalating high land, a farm land value in general, but farmland in particular environment. And many of the concerns that you were talking about in 1973 uh, are, are again emerging. So I think your, your study is kind of very interesting in that sense. Yeah, and we're seeing that, you know, sort of all over the world, too. So, like, Australia is revisiting uh, foreign investment in, in farmland. Um, just recently, uh, Missouri's been, been revisiting this. Uh, of course, North, North Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin, I think it's come up. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's in the news again at this time of, of high prices. Right. So, uh, but in 2003, we, you know, the legislate, we, that legislation might not have occurred if we were in, you know, 2017, 2018. I mean, yeah, that's right. That amendment, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. But, okay, so, but in 2003, it's relaxed. And that's really where your study kind of comes in. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I'm, I'm looking at the impact of that 2003 amendment that opened uh, ownership of Saskatchewan farmland to non Saskatchewan residents, so to Canadian residents and agricultural corporations. So you open it up. So what's the like expectation? You know, you're, before you do any analysis, what would one expect? You're opening up a market for investment. I guess demand, you'd expect demand to shift out. Prices go up. Is that a reasonable 
Yeah, that's basically what we're looking at. So, so there's this uh, increase in the number of buyers, so increase in, in demand for Saskatchewan farmland, and we we think of you know supply of, of farmland as being fairly price inelastic, um, and so even a small change in demand might might cause a you know pretty big increase in pretty big change in price. Yeah. All right, so this is uh, th- one of the really unique things uh, that the listeners uh, should know about your study is it's a really careful, detailed study to try to get at the magnitude of this price change over time. Uh, obviously, we can't get into that much detail over the podcast, but give us an idea of what the experiment is, what you control for, how you set it up um, with the data. So, Sure, okay. Um, so, so I'm looking at Saskatchewan farmland transactions, and I use uh, uh, similar farmland transactions in Manitoba as a control group. And so uh, I'm using 1995 through 2010 transactions, so I've got a, a window before this 2003 amendment, so sort of look at farmland values in that, in that period, and then I'm also looking at uh, farmland transactions in a window just after the the amendment for, for seven to eight years. Okay, and so some of the listeners out there maybe uh, are, are not in North America, aren't that familiar with uh, Canadian geography, but the provinces of Manitoba and Saskatchewan abut each other. And the particular you're looking at a particular area of comparison between the two provinces that is uh, yeah. uniquely suited to comparison, right? That's a, that's a good point, yeah. So I'm looking at um, transactions in... Uh, southeast Saskatchewan and then southwest Man- Manitoba. And, um, so I, I I grew up in Saskatoon. I live in Winnipeg now. I, I drive across that region um, every summer, and and I can attest that you know the landscape is very similar on on both sides of the border. And so we've got uh, very similar ag sectors and very similar land uses in the, in those two regions. So we think of them as as good comparator uh, provinces. Um, so basically what I'm exploiting here is um, in, the, in the 1980s, uh, Manitoba introduced farmland ownership legislation, uh, but like most of North America, it was just restricting ownership of Manitoba farmland to uh, Canadian residents and, and, and corporations. Whereas, of course, Saskatchewan has this, starts off with this more stringent legislation, um, move ahead to 2003, now Saskatchewan amends its farmland ownership laws and makes them very similar to, to Manitoba's. And so I'm exploiting that um, uh, amendment in Saskatchewan in 2003, and then using uh, uh, trends in Manitoba farmland prices to uh, estimate the effect of this, this amendment. And, and what do you find? Yeah, so I find, um, so I find prior to the, to the amendment, that Saskatchewan farmland prices are, are losing ground to Manitoba farmland prices. Uh, after the amendment, it looks like uh, Saskatchewan farmland prices, Manitoba farmland prices are on the, on the same trajectory, so they're increasing at the same, same rate. And so the, uh, the, the difference between those, those two trends, that pre-amendment trend and then the, the trend in the, after the amendment, is uh, interpreted as the effect of the of the farmland ownership restrict or amendments in Saskatchewan. And I find that uh, it looks like opening up to, to outside investment increases farmland values by between two and 3% per year. So a, a substantial increase. 
um, especially if you if you take that two or three percent out for eight years, you know, it adds up to right. a, it's a twenty something increase in farmland prices. And uh, so, in a sense, as you you might expect, that the shift in uh, as more people have entered into that market, there's been an appreciation in land values. And so, with respect to uh, so let's just kind of go through that. So land values increase. I mean, some farmers, certainly from a landlord or a landowner perspective, they must uh, they benefit from that, presumably. Oh, yeah, certainly. So if you owned farmland in Saskatchewan in 2002, so just before that, that amendment, um, my, my study suggests that you would have seen a you know, on average, there was a pretty substantial increase in, in farmland values just due to the amendment itself. And and of course, this has been a period of um, uh, increasing prices just due to uh, improvements in the ag sector, ag sector in general. Um, I suppose I should take a step back yeah. now and just talk about the the, uh, the the analysis a little bit more. And so, um, so I'm using Manitoba prices as a sort of control for for Saskatchewan prices, um, but I'm also controlling for or accounting for. Uh, changes in farming returns in the in the two provinces. So, so there was you know a significant improvement in in farmland values uh, across Canada over this time period. Yeah, because you're trying to disentangle all of the effects that might be attributed to other things, so that you can really isolate the effect of the the essentially new demand that's moving into Saskatchewan due to the relaxing of the restrictions, uh, disallowing investors from other provinces. Yes, that's exactly that's exactly right. And so, so we account for uh, changes in farming returns over time. Account for uh, changes in local populations over time, so number number of people, and then also changes in oil and gas employment over time. Because it's uh, there was the uh, sort of oil boom in in southeastern Saskatchewan right around that time as well. So it's important to account for those types of regional factors that might have you know, put Saskatchewan prices on a different trajectory independent of this uh, farmland ownership amendment. So once we account for all those factors, it looks like there's this 2 to 3% increase in farmland prices just due to the amendment itself. Right, well, let's, let's just one more question on the method because I think it's really interesting. But where, yeah. do, where do you get data to do this kind of uh, right, yeah, analysis? Good, yeah, good question. So, um, so the Manitoba data I've, I've obtained from the... Uh, municipal services so that the individuals who are doing doing assessments so uh, historically they've also retained the, the farmland transaction data retained that data from the uh, Manitoba provincial government and then in Saskatchewan the uh, I believe its name is the farmland security board uh, makes this data available on a license so you sort of pay a license fee and then get access to uh, land transaction data so it's it's nice having this um, uh, you know, these actual transaction, transactions that are taking place in the marketplace as opposed to, uh, say, survey responses that might be collected by the government where, you know, it's possible that a farmer oh, yeah. incorporates uh, impacts of policy into their farmland valuations. But that might not be what the market. market right. Well, I do some survey work and you're always worried. You know, you always hope yeah. that you get respondents uh, kind of revealing everything accurately that what they're not having a bad day or you know don't make a mistake but the great thing about transactions involving you know oftentimes millions of dollars 
Yes. So you can be pretty sure that all of the actors involved have, have taken care in, 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 uh, in revealing uh, their value for yeah, the yeah. asset and recording it. Yeah, certainly they're in the position to have incentives to collect, have the best information right, yeah. and, and make, make good, good choices. That's right. Okay, so we, we have this change in prices, and, uh, and it's you know, between 2 to 3% per annum from the 2003 period to where, you, and, you, and I remember you mentioned this once to me, that you were only confident over the data period that you were able to analyze, not to the, say, extending it too far. So That's exactly right, yeah. So, so from 2003 to 2010, so sort of the first eight years of the, of the policy. Um, yeah, so the way the study is designed, I, I don't feel comfortable sort of extrapolating out that two to three percent, I wouldn't extrapolate that out of the out of the sample into into later periods. And how sure. and how do so currently how do so we've had this change initially. The initial rule in 1973 was to disallow this investment, presumably to keep prices lower. Right. Sorry, in, in 1973, I think I said that. And then in 2003, it's relaxed and prices rise. That's right. And how are people feeling about this? Is there any discussion about this currently? Um, yeah, certainly. So there was a, um, so uh, the the data that I've seen or the research that I've seen suggests that um, outside investment really started flowing into the province starting in 2006 or 2007. Uh, as far as media reports go, it's sort of under the radar until maybe 2008, 2009, then uh, you start seeing news articles about about this institutional investors buying up Saskatchewan farmland. Um, moving ahead to about 2015, there's sort of this controversial purchase. So there's a um, farmland investment fund, I believe, based out of Regina. It uh, it sells some land to the Canadian Pension Plan Investment Board, um, and that sort of generates some controversy. So there's concern that that pension plans are going to be buying up a lot of a lot of Saskatchewan farmland. So in response, the Saskatchewan government held public consultations in, in 2015. Um, so on the theme of high land prices, we notice again that this is an era of, of high land prices. So there are concerns about outside investment. Um, the public consultations are interesting to read. Uh, so there are verbatim comments in, in one, one document spanning about a thousand pages. And a lot of the comments are, are concerns about institutional investors, um, increasing competition for, for local farmers, especially uh, young farmers, and, and driving up land prices. Um, of course, so my, my research suggests that, you know, that there's something to, uh, to that notion that, that the institutional investors are are increasing prices. But are the institutional investors necessarily the uh, investors from outside the province or because we I like know a farmer in uh, like say uh, right. in Guelph actually who I think owns some land in, in Manitoba. So it wouldn't necessarily have to be an institutional investor, would it? Or no, that that's right. Yeah, that's right. I think they're getting uh, uh, more media attention. Yeah. From, they yeah. they get that attention seems Yes. So it's kind of an interesting thing to me. Uh, uh, how do we, you know, normally, first of all, prices have been going up everywhere. Yes. Uh, 
both in Saskatchewan and in Ontario uh, and in the United States, probably irrespective of uh, whether they've been going up to a certain amount as a result of you know low the low interest rate environment, right. uh, the relatively you know going back a couple of years very favorable uh, spike in commodity prices in right. 2012 2013. Yeah. Um, generally, I would think about agricultural land values going up as being. Uh, an indicator that farming is a profitable enterprise. And therefore, it's not surprising that uh, farmers and non-farmers outside of uh, Saskatchewan would want to uh, invest in Saskatchewan farmland. But clearly, there are many uh, who are concerned about that. Would you mind just explaining what their arguments are? So there's a concern about absentee landlords. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, institutional investors or corporations are going to buy up large tracts. Uh, the farmers that are on the land in Saskatchewan are going to be uh, sort of working for them in a maybe in a, uh, a world like uh, the initial settlers into into Saskatchewan and, and Canada were were, were escaping in, in Europe at the time. So that I think there's a concern about being under the control of absentee land, landlords. Uh, I've seen a lot of concern, at least in media reports and and farm groups, about uh, Absentee landlords not caring as much about farmland stewardship. Um, at least that's an argument that they're making. Is that uh, uh, these outside investors are, are are mostly concerned about short-term profits. They're not going to be thinking about the uh, long-term stewardship of the of the land. Whereas family farmers are looking to pass land onto the next generation, and so they've always got that long-term long-term perspective. Um, you know, there's also just a concern that. Uh, if you have more absentee owners, there's there's fewer people in the countryside. Um, those absentee owners are, are say taking the the land rents that they're generating from the land and and spending it outside of the province, so it's not contributing to uh, local economic development. I think those are the, the three right. sort of primary concerns. Okay, and what do you, uh, I, I guess I'm hesitant to embrace whether the for example the 1973 act. I mean, I can see it's clear to me that it had the effect um, of maybe depressing land values relative to right. Manitoba. But did you see populations persist more in the countryside? Did you see sort of some of the arguments that are being put forward? Uh, did that? Because yeah. ultimately they changed the legislation. That, that's right. Yeah. So, no, I've, I've seen no really strong evidence that, that the, say, the 1973 restriction um, prevented rural depopulation. You know, it's, it's persisted in Saskatchewan, I think, much like it has in neighboring provinces and states. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the discussion in 2002 when the amendment was taking place was, uh, um, so bringing up those 1973 arguments with depopulation and young farmers, um, Lowe was pushing for, for an amendment, so loosening the, the ownership restrictions were uh, you know, making arguments that uh, there's a lack of investment capital in Saskatchewan, and so if you open up to outside investment, capital capital flows in. It um, it allows young farmers to get into farming because instead of having to purchase all this land, they can achieve economies of scale through through rental. They're not tying right. up all their capital in land. 
Um, and rental markets are big. I mean, we've talked about this before, but I've, I've yeah. been thinking Ontario, it's roughly 30% in Canada, roughly 40% of the farmland is in, in the rental market. I'm not exactly sure what those figures are in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, but yeah, you know, it, it double, double digits. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, it's significant. And, um, For some time. It's not a new thing. That, that's yeah. exactly right. And, and you know, one thing the legislation didn't do, the initial farmland ownership restriction, is that it, uh, in Saskatchewan, is that it, there were no restrictions on whether or not the landlord had to be an actual farmer. So uh, there are probably lots of cases of, of urban residents in Saskatoon or Regina owning farmland. They're very separated from, from the farm, uh, but, but renting out to farmers. So it, there was no restriction on whether or not you had to be a farmer or non-farmer, where the uh, rental income was being, was being spent sort of a blunt instrument in that, right. in that sense. I guess the 1973 guaranteed that the person renting you land was residing. If you're a farmer, you're renting from a person. Yeah. Let me get this straight. Let me get this. Yeah, yeah. Prior to 2003, if you were a farmer, you would be renting for sure from a person that resided in Saskatchewan. That's exactly right. Um, but they're not necessarily, but they're not a, necessarily farmer. a farmer. Uh, yeah. They're not necessarily local. You know, so that if there's this thought that you know, we want to re retain land rents within the, within the province. Um, so that's, that's being accomplished, but it's not necessarily those local communities where, uh, say local farmers might want, want the land rents to, to stay. So Chad, your paper leaves clear empirical findings from a public policy perspective or someone listening out there uh, in the government. Uh, what is, what is the key takeaway from your study? Yeah. So I think, you know, sort of, um, so governments over time have, have been responding to, to signals they're getting from, uh, say, the agricultural community. And what we've seen is so the, the signals that governments are responding to are, are concerns about depopulation, about young farmers getting into, into agriculture. And so uh, this, this sort of blunt instrument was, was put in place, and, and it looks like it has, at least in terms of land values, it looks like it has the intended or expected impact. So... Um, 1974 legislation would have would have depressed Saskatchewan farmland prices, and then the 2003 amendment would have that uh, uh, looks like it, it increased Saskatchewan farmland prices. And so, these government policies can can matter in uh, this this really important uh, uh, farming asset uh, farmland. So they can change the price of farmland, but whether they can change long-standing trends and in agriculture and uh, rural populations. That, I guess that remains to be studied. Yes, that's exactly, exactly right. All right. Well, Chad, thanks very much for speaking to us on Fair Talk today, and thanks for your research. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us at Fair Talk. We hope you will continue to check our website for updates and the latest podcasts. 